If you're visiting today, welcome and um, really hope and pray that you're well. It's well with your soul, it is well in your spirit, that it's well in your body, that this year would be a year of blessing. And um, I know uh, it would seem kind of uh, logical to uh, share today and to preach the word um, around, I suppose, the new year and new beginnings and things like that. But I actually want to close out in this first message today, last year. And it's a bit of a segue between we had a fantastic year. It was a year of renewal, of growing deeper in Christ, identity, authority, gifting, salvation, revival, and power in the Holy Spirit. We have just seen an incredible work of God that is overflowing into 2024. And, um, you know, there's probably, probably the biggest key for us as a community, and I see throughout uh, many uh, gatherings of believers, other churches, is the theme of identity. And um, as we came to a close last year, I shared on Hebrews 11, passage on faith. And uh, for those of you who heard it, uh, it's still online. Um, I'd encourage you to uh, listen to that message in conjunction with this. Because Hebrews 11 obviously goes into Hebrews 12. Now, originally, the numbers and the verses and things weren't there. It's a letter. So the ideas flow. They flow together. And so I don't want us to think rigidly about that was on faith and this is on something else. It's all actually connected. And as children of God, you know, we came out of last year on a high with, with great faith. There was victory, uh, even in the midst of um, suffering. We, we read there for some believers. But overall, it's this theme. We, we are victorious through our faith in Jesus. And... Um, you know, for us as we come into 2024, I believe that God actually wants to remind us now to actually protect what we've got. We've inherited so much in 2023. I'll just grab some water if I could. We've inherited so much from 2023. Let's not just kind of go from 2023 to 2024 and it becomes just, a, I don't know, a memory. The presence of God in our lives is laid down. There's a foundation that's been laid through Christ and we are continually being changed and transformed by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, into the image of Christ. And as children of God, I want to just touch on not just the benefits of faith and the glory of God, but also the uh, responsibilities that we have to protect what we've been given. And so Hebrews 12 is a beautiful passage because it begins to touch on those deeper dynamics of God, God shaping us as his children, God also uh, bringing us into a deeper revelation of the responsibilities that we have within the covenant now, that's not a word we hear a whole lot, but God has actually made a covenant with you here today and with me. It was Jesus' blood. We remembered that this morning when we shared communion together. But his covenant actually is very, very precious. 
very, very precious. And he calls us to protect that in terms of our relationships, our gathering together, um, as we represent him in the world. And so there are many benefits that we have, don't we, through our faith in Jesus. We've got our relationship with God, access to the Father's presence and the Holy Spirit. We've got the blessing of provision. We've got hope for the future. God has not abandoned us. He's got a plan for your life. We've got, a, we've got access to spiritual renewal at any moment. We can come to God and wait on him and he refreshes our soul and our spirit. We've got spiritual armour that we can put on now because of who we are in Christ that allows us to resist and fight the battles of this life. We fight not flesh and blood, it says. We've got ultimately the gift of eternal life. These are the benefits. But there's also, as I said, responsibilities. We've got a responsibility to love one another, to love God. As I mentioned, the covenant that Jesus laid out is a better covenant. It's a better agreement, it says in Hebrews, than the one that we would have been under as God-fearers with the Jews. Um, we've got a responsibility to walk in the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So this responsibility to walk in the Holy Spirit is another one of these responsibilities that we need to balance against the benefits. It's great to have the blessings. It's great to walk in hope and to have the joy of God's provision. But then when challenges come or there's uh, conflict or there's things that want to kind of eat away at the edges of community, will we take responsibility to protect what God has given us in 2023. We've got also a responsibility to love the world, to make disciples. And this is something I'm passionate about. I do see a year of harvest. I do see a year of uh, fruitfulness. And I believe that these things will come to all of us in terms of God's house and the role of the church in the world. But God needs to know that he can trust people, that his children have actually been tempered, if you like, like steel, so that they can be flexible but also strong. That, that's called resilience. And so when we go through trials and things like that, we, we shouldn't kind of go, well, God, you know, you're tempting me or you're wanting to, you know, you don't love me anymore or something of that nature. God loves you dearly. Believe me, he loves you dearly but he won't leave you as an illegitimate child. He will, he will um, actually temper you, he will um, guide you, and he will shape you into the man and woman of God that he's calling you to be. And this is the context today for Hebrews 12. Um, you know, the, this balance between God's love and God shaping us, God giving us lots of freedom, but also helping us to understand our responsibilities as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I just want to touch on this idea of God shaping us first before we look at Hebrews 12, 14 to 25. Um, the context of this, as I said, is we came out of Hebrews 11 and it, it started actually with creation, with faith, 
by faith we understand that the, the worlds were created. And it ended actually in Hebrews 12, uh, 1 through to 4 with the cross. So we went from creation to the cross. And we looked at how faith is important at every step along the way through salvation history. Faith is not just a New Testament reality, it's always been there. Always been there. And so we then arrive at this little passage that talks about God's discipline of us as children. It's a shaping, it's a, it's a resilience. Let me read it to us. It's not going to come up, but the main passage will in a moment. Hebrews 12, 8 to 9 says, If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you are illegitimate. I'm doing my ancestry.com profile. I've gone back 15 generations, back to about the 1600s and um, in England, and it's really interesting seeing how many illegitimate children were <laughs> in my family line. And, um, and, and some dynamics, like a father would have a child, and then the next year, when, after that child's born, the father would die. And I'm going, okay, God, there's something in that. I've got to have to kind of pray through some of this stuff, but illegitimacy is a terrible thing. The impact of being illegitimate is devastating. It's devastating for the next generation. It's, it, it provides a curse. God does not want you and I to be illegitimate. So he fathers us. He loves us. And this is the purpose of, at times, the trials and blessings dynamic. And so if God doesn't discipline you as he does his, all of his children, all of his children, None of us escape that. Uh, it means that you are uh, illegitimate and not really uh, his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? Amazing. The father of our spirits. God is preparing you and I for eternity. This life is not wasted. We have an opportunity to outwork God's plan and purpose for our lives at times under pressure. It is not easy. But if we submit to God's work in our lives, it, as Job says, and he suffered, <laughs> Job says, when he has refined me, I shall come forth as gold. There is a refining. Now, I'm not saying this year is about refinement. This is the context, though, for what we're about to read. In fact, I think during 2023, we did experience refinement. But that is not what I see for 2024. I do see a year of harvest. I do see a year of fruitfulness. But we need to understand if we have experienced God's discipline or shaping in our lives, it was and is for a purpose. Don't despise it. Don't despise it. And so let's have a look now at uh, Hebrews 12, uh, 14 through 25. And I'm going to make some comments as we go here about what we're going to protect. It's important to protect those things that we have inherited. You know, just before, before I go into that, I think of my son or my daughters. And as a father, if I'm more focused on my own priorities and just let them raise themselves. 
doesn't work really, does it? You get a mess. God is a faithful father. He is a faithful father and he doesn't say yes but really mean no when he says you are my child. He's committed. He's, he's all in. You're not going to be illegitimate. Hebrews 12, 14 to 25. Let's have a look at the first verse, 14. Work at living in peace with everyone. So these are some of the things that we need to protect. These are some of the things that as we come out of the, the joys from Hebrews 1 through to 11 and the beginning of 12 and all of the great things about who Jesus is. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than all of these things. He's a, he represents a better covenant. Here we see now the things because we have this precious gift of Christ, this precious gift of the church. We need to protect it. So it says it starts right out. Work at living in peace with everyone. Wow. That's a hard job, isn't it? That really is. If you've lived at all, maybe when I was 19, 20, I would have been quite idealistic about that. But the reality is it's hard to live at peace with everyone. It's difficult. You've got, we do. Jesus says, he acknowledges we have enemies. We have people who hate us. There's people who want to hurt us. There's people who, you know, don't want to necessarily, they're not for us. And, you know, sometimes they're living right next to us. They're neighbours, you know, and they're people that we're called to love. But it says here, work at living in peace with everyone. And the reason is peace promotes unity and the Spirit's presence with us. If we want the Lord to walk in our midst, in fact, I did see, and I, I didn't go there this morning, I should have, but I did see the Lord with us this morning and I felt to pray for healing. If anyone needs healing in their body today, I want you to come out afterwards. I want to pray for you. But, you know, when the Lord turns up and he wants to heal or he wants to restore or he wants to do a precious work in our lives, if we have not protected the territory of our heart, if we're in bitterness or unforgiveness or we, we're not walking in repentance, we're not walking with the Holy Spirit, then there's... Issues, there's priorities that God wants to get right first here before he takes us into the glory room, if you like, into his treasury of his presence. He doesn't, because we can't stand in that place, you know. It's because of the blood of Jesus that we can stand, but, you know, there are things, there are priorities that through Christ, God wants to strip away those things that pr promote barriers to unity where he wants to dwell with us. He wants to deal with these as a priority in our lives. So it says, work at living with peace with everyone. Peace requires, therefore, awareness of others' needs and not just our own. So if I'm just pushing my own agenda and I'm walking over others, it's not going to be peaceful for very long. It's going to be disunified. It's going to be chaotic. We all need to consider one another. It requires self-sacrifice, the surrender of our will, repentance and forgiveness. So work at living in peace with everyone. It's not easy. But I tell you what, if you've got the, the Holy Spirit with you, there is a grace that is released to you to actually love others that are sometimes difficult to love. And I'll tell you now, I've been one of those people that were difficult to love. And I was shown much grace. 
it goes on to say, and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Now, of course, we've got positional holiness through our faith in Jesus. But there's also the sanctification, the process of being made holy. And it's saying here, work at this. Work at reflecting the image of Christ in your life. Work at being like Jesus. And I know that there's little uh, tasks that often the Holy Spirit will give me. Like he'll say, you know, kind of work. I remember one day it was my temper as a younger man. I'd be quite hot-headed. And I was um, a youth leader at C3 Ride. And, um, and uh, the Lord was saying, hey, come on, you've got to... Who knows that if you deal with it in private... It's, it's a whole lot better than having God expose it publicly. So I'm driving uh, past Kurong in West Ride, and I wanted to get a park, but I couldn't, so I decided to do a Yui across a double line. And um, anyway, um, this guy comes down the road, and Tara's in the passenger seat next to me, and he screams down the road, and as I'm pulled over the line, he pulls up within a hair, hair breadth of... Yeah, like Mumbai, uh, a hairbreadth of Tara's passenger door. And um, I jump out, and I'm in a rage, and I, I'm about to put my fist through this guy's window. And as I looked, kind of just glanced to my left, here's one of the youth from my church just on the bench outside Kurong, just watching me with his mouth wide open. And, you know, so we've got to work at living a holy life. <laughs> you know? This is not something I say lightly. It's something I've had to work through, like you. And, but I tell you what, I've reaped a harvest of, of righteousness um, through Jesus because we commit ourselves not just to being positionally right with God, but actually walking it out. Yeah? Um, so holy means to be set apart. It's not this religious, pious word. It just means being consecrated, set apart for God's use love what um, Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.20 to 21. He says, in a wealthy home, some utensils are made of gold and silver and some made of wood and clay. The expensive utensils are used for special occasions and the cheap ones are for everyday use. If you keep yourself pure, uh, you'll be a special utensil for honourable use. Your life will be clean or holy and you'll be ready for the master to use you for every good work. So in a wealthy home, there are vessels of gold and silver, earthware and stone. Positionally, if you're on that spectrum, you can choose just to be earthware and stone. God will still love you. You're saved. You're positionally, you're in Christ. But if you want to be used for honourable use, it says make yourself a vessel for honourable use. This is where we continue to walk with Christ and we are transformed from glory to glory, the Bible says. And so we, we read this passage and initially you can go, well, isn't that works? Jason, isn't that works? No, it's not. <laughs> it's actually working out and learning, it says, in it says in Thessalonians, what pleases the Lord. And so work at living with peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord. Look after each other, verse 15. 
Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Wow. This is a big one because it actually leads into the next verse. What is grace? It's just simply undeserved favour. It's undeserved help from God and from us towards one another. And it says here, look after each other. It doesn't say look after your friends, look after those you like the most. It says look after each other, flat out, simple. So that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. How do we receive the grace of God? Through one another. Through forgiveness, mercy, kindness, correction, in love. It's these things, actually, that we've got to protect. It's these things that we need to be responsible for so that we don't taint the wellspring. It's like sheep just running into the trough and muddying up the water so it's fouled up for everyone. And so this is not something that we are experiencing at the moment, but my, my suggestion and my um, encouragement to all of us today is that we would protect this so that it doesn't happen. Love flows to others through grace. We must be mindful to genuinely love with grace from God as we forgive as we maintain boundaries through honouring people's needs and respecting others' time and energy. So there have been times where I've been very needy as a younger man. I went through many trials. I went through times where I had desperate need. I didn't think I'd make it on a number of occasions. And I would cry out, and grace would be shown to me from the body of believers. Grace would be shown to me through people's time, through finance, through service, they didn't have a car, so they'd sometimes drive me places. Now, that was wonderful that they could give to me like that. But actually, I had to have grace for them too. I, it, had to, it has to go both ways. So if I'm just taking and receiving grace, but I don't give it, that's where it gets difficult. That's where bitterness starts to grow down. Because I, grace is actually there for you and I to learn. That's the purpose of it. We, we talk a lot about grace in the church and in the kingdom, but grace actually has a purpose. Grace is given and received for the purpose of growth and maturity so that we can grow up and change. If we just receive grace and then we trample on it, then it's not grace. It, we, we actually despise it, and we'll read about that in a moment. And so we actually have to demonstrate grace in both directions. We receive it, but we've also got to give it. And sometimes we give it through respecting people's time and boundaries. So we don't just over-rely on the same people all the time, but we actually learn. One of the best things I ever did practically was to shift my emotional world, was to come into church as a younger man and my pastor would say to me, Jason, don't talk about yourself, but just make a comment, an appropriate one, on three, three, three people. Just say something that you really admire or you like or that you recognise. 
And that started a whole new dynamic in my spiritual world. It actually helped me show grace and to show love and to change the momentum from being introspective to other focused. That's a huge one because if we walk around and we just give, 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 then sooner or later, take, 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 sorry, the other way around, my brain flipped. Um, then, you know, if it's just kind of give, give, or take, 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 and then we don't give, then that becomes wearing on others. I might just grab a bit more if I could. So we've got to look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Everyone is deserving. No matter where we're at, we are all deserving of God's grace. And sometimes if grace is worn a bit thin and we're just feeling a bit hard in our heart towards someone, that's where we need to get alone and say, Lord, help me, renew me. Is there something I'm missing? Am I keeping appropriate boundaries? And am I outward focused in my love and grace towards others? It goes on to say in the second part of verse 15, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Here's the thing about a root of bitterness. If the root of bitterness, it has to take, um, the seed actually has to take root before you see it. If you're seeing it come up out of the ground and it's got a stem and a head and the rest of it, then you've actually missed it already because the root has gone down very deep. I've got a couple of weeds in my backyard and they're these um, tough ones. They've got a taproot. They're not this kind of sp sprawling one. They've, the taproot goes right down and I've tried to rip them out and you end up getting the bark and the sap all over you and it just slips out of your hand. They go very deep. And so if we fail to protect one another by not giving and receiving grace... And practicing that, the root of bitterness goes down a little. It starts with a little seed of offence or hurt. Often behind offence is hurt. And we get hurt. And we think, well, they don't love me. Or they don't, you know, they're not caring for me in the way that I, that I need. And so if that continues and we just play favourites and we just hang with the people that we, we love or that we like and... The church is much bigger than friendship. It's much bigger than being social. It's spiritual. We're a spiritual family. So we must move beyond the sensibilities of our social lives to really learn and understand what love is, that it goes deep. And so we can avoid the root, the poisonous root, it says, of bitterness. It says that grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. We're going to start moving through this a little bit quicker. And so where grace fails to be shown, the bitter root can defile a community. And it happens. It happens in a lot of communities. But I feel God's saying to us, let's protect now what we've got. The fruit that's come out of 2023, let's protect it. Let's practice grace towards one another. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau, who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that afterward, when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected 
Um, it was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. So Esau's heart had become hard. We read about this story in Genesis 25, 29 to 34, where, like us, we have a covenant under Christ. Esau had another type of covenant, an agreement, as the firstborn. And he actually walked all over that covenant and traded it in for a single meal. That's how much he respected the covenant of his father as being the firstborn, and he actually lost it. And so what this is saying here to us is that let's not be overly familiar or flippant in our faith. Let's not come in and, and think somehow that this is just what we do. Let's have reverent awe for God. Let's have reverent awe for the covenant that we're within, for the presence of the Holy Spirit. When we encounter God in breakthrough, in prayer, in spiritual growth, in maturity, this is the spirit of the living God working in you and I. We are favoured because of the covenant that we are in. Let's not treat it with contempt. It says... Um, being immoral or godless like Esau. If our hearts get hard, if there's sin that we don't deal with as well in the community, and I'm not, this is not about judgment, this is about spurring one another on to live a life worthy of the calling. Just don't let sin rest, just deal with it really quick. You know, because where we have uh, sexual immorality, it says in another translation, or godlessness, leads to a hardening of our hearts. And that's what I believe happened for Esau. He walked for so long, just in his own way, just doing what, he was a very hard man. And um, eventually his heart became so hard that he didn't realise the preciousness of the covenant and that you and I have this covenant as well. But remember, even in the midst of brokenness and sin as we're working things through, God's grace, again, is able to make us stand firm. Romans 14, 14. It says, You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom and whirlwind, as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command, even if an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself, who was known as a friend of God, was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. It must have been an awesome experience. But notice here it says, you have not come to a physical mountain. So we're not called to come to God under the new covenant with fear and trembling and terror. This is not the God we serve. We are under a dispensation of God's love and grace. There is a wide open door for repentance. There is a day for judgment. The Bible talks about that and it will come. But there is a wide open door. And it says here that in Christ we don't come to the same experience the Israelites did. Do you know when the law was given um, in Exodus 32, 28, um, when Moses came down and the people, their hearts were hardened, it says that 3,000 were judged and died that day. 3,000. In Acts 9, uh, actually in, in the uh, early chapters of Acts, it says that when Peter preached, 3,000 got saved. 
So 3,000 died under the old, 3,000 live under the new. That's the bias that God has. That's the difference. Mercy triumphs over judgment. God has opened a wide door for salvation that those who would choose Christ and the forgiveness of God, the repentance of, from sin, would, would encounter this new life. And so we, we don't come now into God's presence trembling and fearful or afraid. We come in, it says here in verse 22, no, you've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Joyful. Not fear and trembling. Joyful. You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children, those whose names are written in heaven. Wow. Do you know, Jesus says in John 18, 36 and Luke 17, 20 to 21, he talks about his kingdom is not a physical kingdom, but actually it's here in our midst right now. God is with us by his Holy Spirit. It lives in you. It lives in me. It's not a physical kingdom. So not coming to a physical mountain where the law was given, we come together. And so what it's saying here is we need to understand the new dynamic of the new covenant. We don't get caught up in religion. We get caught up in his presence. We get caught up in the, the sacrifices of praise, the sacrifices of loving one another, of forgiveness, and these things that are an aroma to God. We have to understand that this is the nature of the kingdom of God. You're not coming into this old thing, but this new, dynamic, joyful experience. You've come to God himself, it says, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have been made, now been made perfect. Isn't that a good thing? They've been made perfect. That's what waits for you and I. The spirits of people who have now been made perfect. They're in God's presence, absent from the body, present with the Lord. You're glorified. That's amazing. What a hope we have. You've come to God himself. God dwells with us by his Holy Spirit. That's why it says here, show grace to one another. Forgive. Work at these things. Protect what you've been given. And each of us, me and you, we all have a responsibility to love one another. You've come to Jesus, the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. See, Abel could demand justice, but Jesus didn't. He, he, he won it for us. Abel could demand vengeance, but Jesus never demanded vengeance. His blood was given freely. He knew that it wasn't fair. He knew that it wasn't just. And this is who we've come to. This is who we gather before is the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We end here. It says, be careful that you don't refuse to listen to the one who is speaking. 
For if the people of Israel did not escape when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, we will certainly not escape if we reject the one who speaks to us from heaven. This again is about a holy reverence for God's voice. And none of us here, I know, are in that category where we are irreverent. So as we pray, we're going to worship and close with a song today. And I want to pray for you. If you need healing, if you want to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus, there's going to be an opportunity at the end of this gathering. We're going to break, but I'm going to stay back and pray for those who want prayer. But how do we do this? Well, one, we need to revere God with joy. It says the early church in Acts 9.31, they grew strong in the encouragement of the Holy Spirit and the fear of the Lord. Number two, we've got to look after each other, as the passage says. This is how we do it. And number three, let's remain confidently humble. God doesn't want you to be a worm, but you know where the glory comes from. It remains with him. Let's keep our hearts humble before the Lord. Can we stand together today? Is that okay?